Hello everybody, it's Hobbskew here. Um, before we get started with the show today, uh, I was not able to join for it, so um, I just wanted to kind of do a quick little intro uh, just to mention kind of that, yes, we're still in the middle of Pride Month, it is June, so we really wanted to give a shout out to our partners at the Grinding Coffee Company. So they are, you know, black-owned, LGBT-ran coffee company. Um, so if you're looking to support an LGBT business during uh, the, the month of Pride or actually all year round, um, Grinding Coffee Company is one that we have been so fortunate to work with. So they are a coffee company really aimed at gamers. That's kind of who they their target audience was to begin with. That's who they marketed towards. They're expanding. The Kickstarter was approved Um they're moving into Amazon market. I mean, they're really getting to take off, which has just been great to see. They're still so great for us to work with. You can get a discount um, by going to use our code. So if you just go to the Goblin Lore Pod Twitter account um, under our pinned tweet, you will find the link. Uh, I also wanted to let everybody know that if you listened last week, uh, when Alex and I did the giveaway episode, we had mentioned that there was going to be an event this past weekend to uh, for Trevor Project. So uh, it was a wrestling-style four-way match, the four-clown throwdown, with uh, my persona being the Quarkashima, our friend Quark mixed with Sakashima, kind of two great partners that worked out very well. I uh, really cut down the deck in terms of making it uh, for much more of a chaotic feel, a lot more based in coin flippings, wheels, but just for the sake of wheeling. I actually, and this is the funny part I wanted to share with everybody, um, I did, well, we, sorry, before we get to that, I did give away two more um, proofs or, or two more prints that Jeff uh, Laubenstein gave us for goblins. So we gave those away as part of the, the giveaway. We had a lot of supporters of the cast and a lot of listeners of the cast hang out in the chat. And it was just great to see kind of the chat had a chaos function. So basically, if you donated and we're going to be looking at doing this going forward with some other ones. So um, another the, the Goblin Lore pod will be involved with for the month of September. We're doing a giveaway or we're going to be doing a day of streaming to raise money again for Suicide Prevention Month. So with these, one of the cool features that we had for the one that uh, we did this past weekend was you could actually donate to do things like make a player draw a card, uh, you know, let a player do lay of the land and go get a basic land and put in their hand. Uh, or you could give them life. You could take away life. You could make somebody attack somebody else. Um, somebody came in, uh, Kabori, who does this, came in and did a wrath, a sorcery speed wrath for $100. I mean, it was just, they ranged from donating a dollar on up. Could You could do things to impact the game, which just added to the hilarity. Uh, I, and I do say that the joke was, you know, like kind of... Um, yeah, dumbed down for my audience to double my dollars. Uh, they all hate me for it, but they all yell holler in my uh, tribute to Jay-Z. I joke that I took all these cards out of my deck, but I left the wheels in. I used them in a chaotic manner to the point where I cast five time spirals in a turn and managed to lose the game. But either way, the important part was we were raising money for the Trevor Project. Uh, we had matching being offered through a, don a generous donor. Um, we raised over $1,600 uh, for the charity. This is something that the Goblin Lawyer is going to be looking for the opportunities to get involved with uh, moving forward for, for special streaming events when we can. So if, if this is something that you would like to see us kind of continue, if you have ideas, we'd love to hear it. Uh, but unfortunately, that event drained me uh, to the point I was just feeling so unwell on Sunday that uh, I, I missed out on this recording. I am really excited for you all to hear it. We have a returning guest, but I'm going to let Alex... Uh, tell you the rest about that and to take it away.
Hello, Podwalkers, and welcome to another episode of the Goblin Lore Podcast. Uh, today, here with a special guest who's coming back to join us again. I'm really excited about this. So I'm just going to get intro introductions out of the way real quick. Uh, Hobbs could not make it tonight. I am Alex Newman, found on Twitter at Mel underscore Chronicler. And tonight we're joined by Reinhardt again. Hi, everybody. So do you want to give a quick intro for yourself? Sure. Can find you? Sure. Um, my name is Reinhardt Suarez. I am, uh, among other things, a writer and an editor, um, sometimes teacher. I uh, can be found uh, online at uh, com, And that's, I'm an old fogey, so that's mainly how I'm online. I don't really <laughs> interact any other way, so. All right. Well, we uh, brought you back on, or I mean, always, always happy to talk to you and love talking about you know, writing and, and the craft. But you've relatively recently had a couple of stories go up on uh, Wizards website. I have. I have. It's kind of a, a surreal. It's been a surreal time, you know, going through uh, kind of the, the process of um, of spoilers and then unveiling the whole Strixhaven set. But yeah, I had uh, two stories associated with legendary characters um, from the set. Right. Well, do you want to talk about kind of your how, how that happened? And, and... <laughs> I, I do. Uh, it's kind of hard to believe. Like, so I guess super ancient background is... Uh, I first began um, playing Magic, I believe, I believe it was 1994, uh, when I was a freshman in high school, and um, I, <laughs> it's funny to think how I would go to uh, my local comic book shop, we didn't have a game store uh, by me, and uh, yeah, three bucks for a Legends pack, three bucks for, um, oh yeah, you know, antiquity is cool. I'll get two of those for six bucks. Uh, uh, oh, Arabian Nights. That sounds really sweet. I'll get another one for those for, for three bucks more. You know, so, you know, knowing how much the, the prices have spiked for cards in those sets, it's like, it's very surreal. And then to think however many years later, what is it? 30, 30 years? I'm, I'm it's 20, 20, nearly 30 years. I think it's 28, yeah. something like that years later um to be uh writing you know for for that game you loved you know when you were a kid um so you know during during most of that time between roughly the late 90s and um 2016 um i wasn't really playing magic at all i just like a lot of people, life gets in the way and, you know, you're sort of, you're going through school and then like, you know, graduating, getting a job, things like that. And it wasn't until um, a friend of my wife's uh, asked her like, hey, do you know anyone who plays magic? And she's like, no, but I think my husband might want to try. And I'm like, yeah, I would love to. Um, and then, you know, I was kind of establishing back the relationship with the game that I've always had uh, kind of in the back of my mind, always remembering like my, uh, my friend's direct damage deck, as he called it. 
uh, with twenty with literally twenty lightning bolts in it. I remember decks like that. Uh, I, I started playing around the same time. Yeah, yeah. And uh, his meanest deck was his kudzu deck. <laughs> uh, yeah, we didn't get to play anything. But um, so one of the things that has always attracted me to in any kind of uh, media, whether it be comic books or RPGs or things like that, are is the story. And so as I got interested in playing the game to kind of associate with people and, and just meet people in my community, um, I started re-exploring like the, the story that had developed all during the time that I was away. And it was a lot of story. And it was really cool. I'm like, wait, you know, the first thing, like, oh, planeswalkers. Aren't we the planeswalkers? No, they're these characters that are planeswalkers. You know, like, oh, okay, these are interesting. These are new cars that I'm I'm, I'm not familiar with. And just learning all those things and getting really interested in, in you know, uh, reading uh, summaries online and, and watching YouTube videos explain about the different characters and their relationships. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I was just a player. I, I, I really love the game and really like to talk to my friends about it. And I think it was, was it, man, it, I think it was last year where I happened to spot um, an open call for, uh, I think it was open call for writers of color um, to submit um, short stories or story samples to wizards. Uh, editorial team and you know because they're looking for new writers um and they would like to give new writers a chance writers who are probably even writers who are not as established and that's something that's really near and dear to my heart i really love i I love organizations i love giving um whenever i can you know new writers either advice or just opportunities to show what they have um and i said you know what i really love this game I'm going to send my one fantasy story because I, I primarily write contemporary fiction, contemporary young adult fiction or contemporary, like just like literary fiction, really. So I have, <laughs> I have one, one fantasy story. So I sent it in and, uh, but two months later I got, uh, an email back and I was like, wait, what? The, <laughs> the email said, Hey, uh, we really like your story. Uh, you want to write for us? And I said, yeah, sure. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, you know, getting up to speed and it, it happened really fast where, you know, they said, okay, let, you know, we'll get you on board. We'll, we'll talk to you. We'll meet with you. So I met with editorial and, and editorial was really, really very support, like exceptionally supportive of trying to get me up to speed um, with what's going on and, and what's expected of me. And, and then of course, um, one of the harder parts about this whole thing is they give you all this information that you're not supposed to tell anybody. <laughs> and, uh, oh my God, like, yeah. like the first person, like one of the first people that I wanted to tell was you. <laughs> like, I was like, Alex, Alex, guess what? But I, I knew, I knew I couldn't do that. Because mm-hmm. it would all come tumbling out of my mouth, and it would be really awful. Like I'd get in trouble, like lots mm-hmm. and lots of trouble. So, oh yeah. So it, you know, um, that's that's how I got into it, and then 
we can go on if you want to go on talking about like the actual process yeah that that would be great um before we go too far i I do want to just for for people who are listening if they're interested so the two stories you wrote the two stories i wrote are for the strixhaven set yep um and they're for the characters dina and quintorius so it's dina who is part of the witherbloom college and uh, quintorius who's part of lorehold college Yep, and if and if you're looking for them, Dina's story is the chains that bind is mm-hmm. the the title of that, and then the mentor, the mentor, is, uh, yes. And, and how, how do you pronounce that character one more time? Quintorius. Quintorius. Okay, yes. thank you. And then we'll uh, try to get links to those in our show notes too. So yeah, that that aside, um, yeah, do you want to talk about what you know, kind of the actual approach of of writing these stories? Sure. What it was like to work with wizards. So working with Wizards Editorial um, really was quite a pleasure. Um, they have a, a fairly large editorial team from what I can tell. Um, and and they really, I mean, I don't know what anyone else's experience with Wizards Editorial is, but, you know, I, I think they really, really go above and beyond to try to help prep me to, you know, understand what they want understand like the parameters of you know um what is an acceptable story to them you know as far as like word counts and things like that style like they have a very a lots of lots of notes about that mm-hmm. um and as far as the story though like it they they give a lot of leeway which was really cool it was something that was really enjoyable but also frightening um which is you know it it was a conversation it was like oh you know we have this character and she you know she or he does this or that and these are the main points of the character arc um but everything that kind of connects them together and the the ultimate ending to it that's really up to you and a lot of the details it's kind of up to you because especially when it's uh, a plane that has not been seen before Mm-hmm. A lot of the details kind of flow from editorial um, in in kind of an umbrella way, a large way, a macro way. But uh, the individual writers really can kind of add their flavor. And I think that really helped to give each college in this case a particular feel. And that was, I thought that was really well done, like really um cool as someone who was excited to read the other stories that i hadn't written i loved that they were completely different voices and i i think so highly of all the writers that were on the you know i i was able to talk to most of them um well yeah i was able to talk to a couple of them at least um and i just love that they were all different um and i think that gave strixhaven a nice I don't know. It, it was it, it, such a nice variety and an authentic uh, diversity of voices, I guess. Yeah, and not only, I mean, it's really nice to hear that just in general for, for magic, but like especially a college, it feels like a good place to have that, that variety of, of voices and variety of experiences mm-hmm. to express that, to sort of match yeah. that experience. Absolutely, absolutely. I think that was... That was a cool and right call, I think. Uh, uh, so, 
um, as far as kind of how I approached um, writing these st stories. So I was first given the Dina story and kind of just this, again, the overall broad strokes were there, but then I had to think about it. And like, again, I, one of the things uh, that I think writers, when we get together, we talk about almost all the time is um, something that uh, we like to call imposter syndrome. <laughs> and uh, imposter syndrome, for anyone who's not familiar, is the notion or the feeling that even though you've kind of attained a certain level or you've gotten an opportunity, um, you don't feel that you belong there. You don't feel that you deserve that opportunity. Um, and sometimes if you let it get to you, it can derail you. It can kind of cause anxiety or or exacerbate anxiety that you already have or any number of those things and it's it can be really difficult because you know when you're when you're engaging in a creative pursuit um it feels so intimate it's like it's something that's part of you and um you're scared that you can't do yourself justice and you're definitely scared that you're not going to be able to do in this case the property justice yeah. And, and, and a, a common experience of imposter syndrome that I, I hear described a lot and have, and have experienced myself is the, the fear or the, the feeling that you're going to be found out. Like oh specifically my gosh. that someone, you shouldn't be in this position and eventually somehow someone's going to realize it and then say, Nope, you don't, we're going to, we're taking that back. Sorry. We didn't, that shouldn't have been there. I, yeah. Yeah. And, and I don't think you outgrow that fear. <laughs> no, and but it, it is just so. I, I, there's a lot of words for it, but maybe draining or distracting is is kind of what I'm going for. Is sometimes when you're trying to do that creative thing, even when you know, even when you're aware that that is a thing that happens that isn't mm -hmm. real, you still have that in the back of your head. Like if I, I'm going to be found out, and it's so hard to focus on the stuff you're supposed to be doing <laughs> absolutely you have that feeling in your head that well i need to do i need to hide i need to do something to obfuscate it to make them not realize that i, I don't belong here but it's absolutely it's and just such wasted energy <laughs> it absolutely is and i think something that's helped me actually is um in uh i'm not a full-time writer in my day job um, I, uh, would work with, uh, university professors to, um, create online classes for them, uh, taking their content, their lessons, putting them online, um, creating multimedia, creating, uh, interactive objects or like little programs to, uh, facilitate learning. And, um, something that, um, you have to do is, you have to create just an abundance of content that you are completely unfamiliar with. So in my case, it would be nursing. So it's a lot of medical jargon. It's a lot of like just everything, how, how to, how to conduct all these different, um, uh, you know, processes and, and, uh, examinations. Like I'm not trained in that. I don't know it. I have to learn it on the fly get the language right in time for the class to open. 
And that that kind of like just rigor, you know, I, I had no choice. That's my job. That kind of rigor kind of reinforced in me is like, yes, I absolutely have imposter syndrome. I do not belong here. However, uh, you still have to do this. <laughs> and you, mm-hmm. did, you, you just have to do the best you can. Mm-hmm. And I, I literally always have to say that to myself when, whenever I sit down. Um, and I had to say that to myself when I had to, when I sat down to write, you know, these stories is there are going to be some, you know, long time, uh, magic readers or long time, um, fantasy readers who will detect that I'm not exactly, uh, the most versed on fantasy, uh, you know, tropes or fantasy dynamics that are, that really are endemic, uh, to the genre um it's just i like fantasy i like reading fantasy um but it's just not something i've written very much of so it's not it's like a new tool set and i i I think fantasy authors are amazing uh amazing for their ability to world build um contemporary authors kind of we have our world it's all around us because it's so it's sort of like the default it's like you get to use the default map in your game um, but fantasy writers, you know, have to build that map from scratch every time. So it was, it was very daunting. So I had to definitely tell myself, well, you're here now. You're just going to have to do it. Um, so the, the first step in what wizards ask you to do is to create an outline, just a general outline of, um, what you think the story is going to, like the, the arcs of the story and the general rundown of what the plot is. Um, so I, I would, I did that. Um, and, uh, my, the, the problem I think with me is my outlines tend to be really, really long, like honestly longer than the story itself. Um, because I'm very, <laughs> very long winded. Uh, they, uh, I don't think there's a problem with that. I think every writer has their own, preference and they they seem to be very amenable to whatever preference you have um so you know there's a back and forth on that you know and then once that's approved then it's write the first draft um you have a certain amount of time to write the first draft you have you have it's there's a regimented deadline and this is really good to help keep you know your pace and because you know when you have to get things in um and then revisions and then you know you send it back again or you, you write it, you write your second draft or you write your revised draft, send that in their last minute changes. And then it goes to proofread and, and go. Um, and that's, that's kind of how it went. Um, you know, uh, on paper, that's how it goes. Mm-hmm. Um, in your writing room at your writing desk, there's a lot of like thrashing. Um, <laughs> definitely. I had a lot of pacing, uh, there was a lot of complaining to to my wife about how I'm inept. Um, <laughs> a lot of <laughs> hugging of my daughter, um, telling her that uh, that it, it, you know her her, her daddy is. Uh, you know, I, I wish her daddy was better. <laughs> but but at the end, you know, I, I I got them through, and I I got them in a in, in a form that I I. I liked, you know, and, and that mm-hmm. the most important thing, the, the form that um, I think the 
the edit editorial deemed was right for the character. Um, yeah. So were you working on, cause you with two stories, were you mm-hmm. working on them like concurrent to each other? No, was no. Schedule like that for that. I was, I was first asked to do, uh, the Dina story. And then after that, uh, was asked to do the, the Quintorius story. Okay. Um, and, uh, yeah, I, I think just it was just a timing thing. Okay, so so the Dina one had been done. Yes, but by the time you started the second, okay, that's that's interesting. That's and especially with with the timelines for how things work for wizards. Like they posted, I don't know, a couple weeks apart, maybe not even that. Um, but because that's just how they do their their marketing push. They're like, mm-hmm. okay, it's Strixhaven season. We're gonna just every you know so often we're gonna have stuff coming out every day for different articles and stories and things but that's well after it's all been done well after you know as yeah putting things together so just kind of curious what the how the the timeline looked there from your your side yeah i mean i i have to i had to have the the drafts in far in advance of those um because there's lots of prep time that i'm not privy to but mm-hmm. um you know i again like in in the day job i know that so many things uh, have to be set up after you have you finalize content. Yeah. So you know that all that stuff has to be done. Um, you know, getting it up in HTML, designing it, associating it with uh, with images and, and and programming or the you know the HTML and all that stuff. So that takes time as well. Um, and they of course it has to be timed with the with all the spoilers and everything too. Yep. Okay. Cool. So was there anything more you kind of wanted to talk about with those? Um, you know, uh, I think going back a little bit to the specific characters, mm-hmm. um, it was really interesting uh, kind of being given both Dina and Quintorius. Um, it was interesting because, you know, like a lot of the other, um, a lot of the other, magic planes like there's that history um and you can go read you know all about ravnica all about innistrad you kind of kind of can get a feel for uh what kind of what the tone is um this because there wasn't as much there wasn't any present existing set there was no previous set Mm -hmm. um we just had the materials that we were given Kind of had I at least I I felt that okay. Um, as far as tone goes, you know I kind of had to like and you know in talking with the with editorial, um, this kind of confirmed it. But I was sort of like, well I you know I write young adult material. I'm thinking that this is kind of going to be along that line, you know, skewing a little bit older young adult, just you know kids in college um and and striking that tone was was is difficult because young adult spans from freshman year of high school to into college and that's all that's a lot that's that's a big Mm -hmm. spectrum of years yeah and and, and a lot why changes during that yeah exactly very different experiences from the beginning to end of that that time period yeah um and i have to say that uh I'm 
because I came because I had that experience with magic and because I remember it so fondly from from when I was a kid, like <laughs> it was very hard for me to not like f- fan out. It's very hard for me to not um, just want to do everything, you know? Yeah. <laughs> um, for example, in, um, in the Dina story, uh, Dina's story, reading it over and reading over generally what her character was like and what her character was going to go through. One of the things that had kind of sparked in my mind was like, oh, this, this journey mirrors the journey of, you know, another character that we all know and sometimes love, sometimes hate. Um, and so I said in my outline, I said straight out, all right, I'm going <laughs> to... I'm going to do this thing. Uh, and, and this is something that I think writers need to know um, at least. So when I'm editing something and I'm editing a writer, I want that writer to push as hard as they can. Um, meaning like you have this idea, just go with that idea, like dive into it and push it as hard as you can because it's my job to push back and like I want your inspiration and I want that energetic verve and I want your, your enthusiasm and I can temper it as an editor to say like, all right, this let, let's back this up, but I can't drag you forward as easily. So in my mindset, I said, okay, these editors don't know me very well. Like they don't, you know, we just met. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm going to take a chance and just like flat out in in the <laughs> in the outline say I think that this character has a lot of um similarities in her journey in her character journey to Liliana. Liliana's in the set. <laughs> I would I would really like to 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 hammer that. I would really like to just what if she's in there? What Liliana's in at the school. Like we we can merge these stories, we can relate these stories and I I expected them to say no <laughs> because you know and I would have been fine with it. I, yeah, you know, I would have been completely fine, but I would have kicked myself if I didn't say it because mm-hmm. I, I was so excited about it. Yeah, and uh, and and you know not only um, not only did they like let me do that, but you know I got to work with Jenna Helen who wrote. Liliana's original origin story. And I was like, oh, I guess it's okay then. Okay, cool. (laughs) (laughs) Um, That was really fun for me. That, uh, in that, you know, I, there were certain sections, definitely there were, there were certain sections that I was so tempted to just go way too deep into the lore. Um, (laughs) And I, I, I had to scale back because I'm like, there's a really big balance between um, giving like really enfranchised fans like a little like delicious morsel mm-hmm. and versus alienating a new reader who is like, I don't what's going on. I don't, I don't get this. Mm-hmm. And that's, I definitely don't never wanted that. And I don't think, I think if I did that, the editorial editorial would be like, nah, let's cut this. Mm-hmm. Um, but like, I wanted to bring up, 
<laughs> there were characters, like really obscure characters from Liliana's past that I wanted to just name check. I'm like, oh, this is my chance. This is my chance. I got to do it. But, you know, I had a modicum of self-control. <laughs> that's, that's good. Yeah. yeah. Just enough. Just you kind of get through. And then next time you can push it. Right. Right. Next right. Time. Just enough. Um, and then um, then writing the Quintoria story uh, was a different challenge because um, uh, one thing that we get in advance is um, we get to see a lot of the f- featured art pieces that okay. go along with the with the characters. Um, so we get to see the, the art that um, the characters are featured, or the cards that the characters are featured. We don't get to see any of the mechanics, okay. which is really good because um, <laughs> that that would probably be that that's not, not anything that we need to to, to know. Mm-hmm. That's, there's only only bad can come of that. Yeah, it would just be more secrets you'd have to keep. Oh my god, yes. Um, so what I could from what I could tell from Quintorius's art is that his journey was very, very specific. Um, you know, he he in on the card expel. He gets expelled from a military academy. You see Quintorius wearing armor. Clearly he's not wearing armor in any other card. Mm-hmm. Um in uh oh what's what's the What's that other card? There's another card where we see Quintorius um, scaling down from a rope, or he, he's on a rope dangling in front of this giant Loxodon statue, and I, I'm, that's a very specific scene. So uh, if you look at Dina's art, um, her feature cards is more stylized. They're more like kind of you can fit those particular scenes in in a lot of different scenarios Quintorius's were very specific in terms of the art um so i was like okay this is like puzzle pieces i have to figure out how this works together um and man I, i'm glad i i mean i haven't cut my hair but i probably don't need to because i tore enough of, of it out um you know that, that i think that card you were talking about was thrilling discovery thrilling discovery thrilling through discovery the, uh, through yeah. the magic of scryfall i was able to find that and it's beautiful, like oh my god, it, beautiful, beautiful art. Oh, um, and uh, but very specific. And so, you know, I think, um, you know, it's. It, I think that's one of the things that that editorial and the writers really wanted to 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 hit home is like there needs to be a meshing of all of this material. Like this is very much multimedia storytelling. So it needs to synergize. Oh my God, I hate that word. It needs Synergize. to work together. <laughs> needs to work. Please see that's kick that's, me whenever I say that word. Oh, see. And that's, that's one of my favorite, like stupid jokes I make every so often, just random something or another Two people like manage to work together or something and i'll just be like in the corporate world we call that synergy and then people roll their eyes at me and i get to laugh a little bit in the the corporate world i call that a pie in the face yeah it gets used (laughs) it gets used a lot uh to the point where it's it has no real meaning anymore yeah so but like you know it was it's really really important to not contradict mm -hmm. you know what is shown on the cards um, it was a challenge for me because, um, you know, that, that spans a lot of time. Yeah. Um, but we, I wanted to tell a very intimate story, um, a story that was, you know, 
different somewhat than than the the Dina story. Something with a little bit more humor in it, and something unexpected. You know, um, uh, one of the things that I think writers also do um, when we're stuck, which is I was stuck often um, in writing these, is um, we look to other works for inspiration. Like sometimes we, you know, our favorite uh, books, our favorite movies, our favorite songs, even. Um, so both both of these stories actually um, found kind of this anchoring in two of my favorite writers. Like um, the Dina story had, you know, really echoed um, the the book The Hour of the Star um, by Clarice Lispector, and she's a Brazilian writer who lived in in I think the 1950s in Brazil yeah and um this was her final book and it was it was a meditation on on her own mortality in in this kind of weird way and I felt that that was really something that I wanted Dina to think about which is you know um what is it to what is it to face the end for uh a, a being that you know she her soul like dryads on on the plane of Arcavias don't their souls don't transition to like a higher plane they just get recycled into new bodies as new dryads who don't who maybe retain somewhat of the essence of all the other dryads that came before them but they they start with new memories and so what what is it for someone like that to grapple with mortality and 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 the end and death um what is it not only yours but the people around you um it's kind of like the highlander situation where you know connor mcleod in, in the movie highlander connor mcleod doesn't necessarily have to worry about dying but he's seen so much death and like in in people around him sometimes dying in violent ways sometimes just dying of old age um, what is it like for Dina to, to kind of grapple with this and to sort of give up that idea that everything has to be preserved, everything has to be returned to some idyllic state, which wasn't actually probably idyllic. It was just how it was. Um, and uh, with Quintorius, it's about, you know, grappling with memory and about you know, how do you honor those who you love? Um, you know, especially if you feel like you aren't worthy of it. You know, he doesn't, He, as someone who is not from uh, an elite family, a rich family, or a family with lots of connections to Strixhaven, how does he leave a mark um, to make his parents proud? Because he's already failed once. He's failed out of the... Um, the, uh, the military movie. academy. Mm -hmm. um, so, what does he do, if anything, to to honor that memory? And it really is in encountering the most unlikely kind of mentor um, that he somehow like allows himself to have that empathy to to open himself up, I guess, to 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 allow that to happen. Um, you know, it and and that. That story is really cool because I found a lot of inspiration with um, Jorge Luis Borges. Um, the the name Asterion actually is 
one of the names for the classical uh, Minotaur. And uh, the Minotaur, I, I, I was like, hmm. Like, the Minotaur, in many ways, is is emblematic of like a soul that's that's kind of trapped um and i i like that i like that image or i like that idea underneath of like or or inside or wrapped in asterion's kind of humorous demeanor where he's got this thing that he has that makes him feel lost and that you know through quintorius's action he he finds it and and through that action, then Quintorius finds his own um, kind of purpose. Um, it's just, you know, those sorts of ideas that kind of circulate and, and percolate in your mind uh, are, are things that, like, I hope that came out in those stories. That was the that was the intention. I don't, I'm not sure how effective that really came across, but that was the intention. So I'll, I'll be completely honest. I have not read the Dina story. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I did read the Quintorius. I, I follow the wizard stuff inconsistently and I just, I happened to run into the Quintorius one, which is mm-hmm. when I, I saw it and on the website and I, 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 it took me a couple of minutes of like staring at the name and the picture. And I'm like, I think, <laughs> I think that's Reinhardt. I think that's the Reinhardt I know. And, and then I, I sent you a message and we, yeah, there's only one. There's only one of me, so. but, um, but yeah, I, so I did, I haven't read the Quintorius and I'll say that that did come through a lot. Just the, the two of them being very different people, but being able to work together to help each other find something together. And that kind of, that thing they found up together, you know, this one thing did was very different to each of them, but it was the thing that they both kind of needed. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I, I just, I like that. It's, it's like a very um, quest oriented you know, storyline, plot yeah. line. Um, but it, it, it's, I like the classicness of it, but I also like the idea of kind of undermining, you know, what a mentor is supposed to be. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and having the mentor question their ability to do that, you know, in the same way, it's imposter syndrome. Yeah. Yeah. And, and just as a, as a step back, even from, from the story specifically, but just in general, like, one of the things I've talked about with Strixhaven is how I appreciate the approach to these schools being, oops, sorry, no the approach of these schools being different than the approach of the, the same color pairs in the guilds and how we're getting to see a different representation of these colors. And I think the Quintoria story did a really good job representing this very different red, white pairing. I mean, especially there's even a little bit of that echo with, with his history with the military academy mm-hmm. that is like the Boros, yes. except now he is in this archaeology school that is in that same color pair, but it's a very different um, representation, a very different presentation of those two colors. Right. It's it's almost like a signal that, you know, this may be the same color pair, but it isn't like the Boros Legion, Yeah, you know? Um, which is I thought was really cool, and and you know, I, it's it's really interesting to actually play, um, like in limited, you know, a a Boros deck versus um, a Lorehold deck because they they operate completely differently. Yeah, I 
on that, unfortunately, I'll have to take your word for it because I have not played much Magic in the last year. It's been a tough yeah. year for me to try to do that. But it's, I just, I thought that was really cool. And your your story really fits that whole, as, as part of that whole movement that they did with, with Strixhaven. And that's something I really appreciate both about the story and just that set. Well, did we? Did you want to talk about some sort of general writing stuff? I do. I mean, um, I think that. I mean, one of the things that I I think about is is that imposter syndrome in terms of or in relation to opportunity. Mm-hmm. Um, I wish, and I think we all wish that everyone got opportunities to show their stuff and the truth is that not everyone does um a lot of times it's about opportunity um or that's right place right time a lot of times it's just about luck and it's something that because writing and and actually any other creative pursuit um also entails skill it also entails practice kind of uh, confuse that to think that that's all that is um, needed. You know, like if we practice hard enough, we try hard enough, we want it hard enough, we will succeed in all these ways. And it's just not true. Um, And I think it's okay to feel um, discouraged um, because the truth is that you could be an awesome writer but you haven't been in uh you haven't been given an opportunity and or you haven't been in the right place right time to have an opportunity fall into your lap and you know this is not imposter syndrome talking right now i don't think if 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 uh, i think that you know could <laughs> Could there have been a better fantasy writer in my position? I actually think yes, that's true. Um, could there have been a, a better writer to write something in my style? No, I don't think so. And I think that's all. that dynamic is always going to be the case. There can always be someone, if you have an opportunity, there can always be someone who has more skill than you. But there can never be someone who can write like you. And you're in that position because of the things that you bring as, you know, that are unique to you. Like all these different strands of your life, all these different experiences, all these different hardships and and, and uh, accomplishments, like all mixed together, you know. And I, I have to think this because otherwise nothing makes sense. Mm-hmm. I have to think that that mixture and not necessarily like – that mixture plus, I guess, the skill and experience and practice um, is what um, allowed me to have that opportunity, plus a whole bunch of luck, you know? Yeah. Um, and I, I, the reason why I'm saying this is because there are a lot, a lot of talented artists and writers and all that, but a lot of them not only have imposter syndrome, but they have um, 
so much wrapped up in their creativity and in sometimes being unlucky, but sometimes actually just being in a merciless uh, system like publishing is a fairly merciless system in terms of actually giving deserving people a chance a lot of times um that should not um that shouldn't be an indictment on someone's skill and it a lot of times it's not a lot of times it's like it, it could even be about some strange pr thing or oh you're you happen to be the the cousin of this very famous person we'll give you you know a book that you know if you're in that position you, you maybe you're a good writer maybe you're not i don't know but um you were very lucky you know um but some other people who are really 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 talented writers sometimes fall through the cracks which is why uh i'm super appreciative of wizards for you know, putting out the word of we're going to find these new voices. We really want to give people a chance. And it's something that I think that um, it can continue doing. You know, I I would be grateful for any other opportunity to, to, to work with magic because I really love the world and I really love the planes and I really love the characters. I love the old characters. I love the new characters. Um, but what's more important is that new voices come flooding in and maybe it could be uh kind of a bastion of where deserving voices who haven't been given a shot get their first shot and get their first exposure and get their first first their first taste of something cool and great and then they go on from there because sometimes all you need is that taste mm -hmm. all you need is that little bit to get you on that right track um i would love to see that like the, the the legacy of of you know getting getting just a whole bunch of voices getting new voices in um that would be awesome if like however many years from now we see a whole bunch of just amazing fantasy authors who got their start um you know writing fiction for magic how cool would that be that would be great that would be great and yeah that's it's it's i think it's really encouraging there's in the past few years and even in the past few you know year less than a year matter of months there have been some issues with with wizards and some things that we haven't been a big fan of but it's nice to see these positive things and we've talked about some of the negative things so i like to be able to then talk about these positive things and say that this sound this was a great opportunity for new writers they're trying to bring in fresh voices and give people these opportunities i'm really glad that that happened i'm really glad that you were one of those people oh so am i but and you know i wanted to talk about one specific writer um i think the name is innocent elo i think is his name who wrote uh zimone's story um again i i come much more from literary fiction and so to to read um uh, you know a magic story but with all the flair of a nigerian writer nigerian writing the writers like you know um chris abani is is the one that comes to mind uh they have such unique voices and no other kind of region writes like nigerian writers um and it's like a gift for me 
to 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 it was a gift for me to read that because it was just I, i'm like this is two of my worlds colliding how cool is this this is oh it was it was just you know because i i could never write like that i i could it's just not the writing style you know that you know there's an american style and i'm an american and i write like an american but you know someone from a different region and it was grown up uh, in a tr- literary tradition uh nigerian uh, writing it was just great and I, that's what i want to see more of i want to see all these writers from all these different places to give magic that that true like international flair i guess yeah no that that is that's excellent. That's incredible. I, again, like I said, I haven't been keeping up on all the things. I have not read this story, but I've got it pulled up. Um, we're going to try, try to get that in the show notes for this episode too, if if your listeners want to want to check that out. And if if the the na- story name here is Blue Green Ribbons, Blue Green Ribbons, yeah, it's really really cool. Um, yeah, it's it's got this magical realism. Uh, this it's it's just really cool. That, that sounds. <laughs> I'm nerding out about it. So. That sounds really cool. I mean, it, just looking at like the first opening little paragraph because I have the the window pulled up and like it fits and, and what I was talking about with the different expression of the color pairs, the you know the the Quandrix with their mathematics, they're mm-hmm. you know they're the blue greens, but instead of making them the bio majors, you you give wizards gave that to black green because that's also something that they kind of do, but mm-hmm. now we have a different expression of, of blue and green and looking at sort of the mathematics in the world and the natural vertices and things and terms that I can't use properly. So I'm going to kind of leave it there, but I just, I think that it was such a cool way to express again, express this color pair in a very different way. Right. Right. And I think, you know, this is this Strixhaven set. I definitely hope that this isn't the last we see of it. Um, I think that, there's an excellent bedrock here to make like really, really cool stories. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'll be excited to see whether or not I'm, I'm, I'm involved. I'll be excited to see what happens. I'll always feel ownership over these characters. Of course, they're not mine, but yeah. you know, <laughs> you were, you were a part of, of building this, this place. So that that's, that's really cool. Yeah. Yeah. We'll see there with, you know, there's at least one planeswalker who spent an extended period of time just hanging out there at the school teaching. They've got a library that's supposed to contain spells from all over the multiverse, which means these people are aware of the multiverse, which is not common in magic fiction. Most no. citizens of various planes do not realize that there are just all these other planes out there. So there's some cool ties to potentially make... Um, Strixhaven more than just a school on this one plane, depending on what happens with sort of the the metaphysics of the multiverse as we go forward. Because right now, interplanar travel doesn't really exist anymore. But right. it, depending on what Wizards wants to do, and even if that isn't a direction they go, there there's definitely a lot of place for this this world and this school to come back in, in story and in magic sets. I think so. And I think, you know, in general... Um the concept of of you know the wizards wizards brand of wizard school of magic school mm-hmm. um i think it was very popular like as far as like the look the feel i think it was really taken well yeah right well 
If you don't have anything else, I've got one quick thing to talk about. Unless I said, if you, there's anything else you want to talk, let's see. Uh, not, um, I mean, oh man, <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, we, we could talk a little bit about if we back up, you know, to working with editorial, um, with the Quintoria story. So with this, the cha- I, I spoke about the challenge, right, of kind yeah. of piecing it together. Uh, my initial idea. So again, this is this is definitely geared more toward writers. Um, my initial idea was big and crazy. I'm not going to go into it any more than that because I don't think I should. But it was big and crazy. Like just think of the craziest thing you could possibly make it, and it was big and crazy. Um, and what editorial did was say, like, okay get a grip you know this is this is not not lord of the rings um (laughs) like you know focus on the focus on the character what are the what are the character relationships what are the important things you know that that kind of unlock the character interaction with the school and you know and interface with the art and you know i sort of had to step back and that's that's where you know, being a big fan uh, sometimes can, you know, hamper you is that you get so excited about about just throwing the kitchen sink into it. Um, and a really good editor, and I really view editorial that I worked with is like excellent. Um, they can they, they can very politely and calmly and supportively <laughs> say, what the heck is wrong with you? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's that's good, and that's that's very important, and that's why, like you talk a lot about a lot creative endeavors. It's it's so important to have other people who can help. You know, whether it's a collaborative thing or it's a thing you're working on yourself and you're working with editors, it's it's important to have those people who who are there with you on the journey who can go along with you and then hit a certain point, but like, no, 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 no. This is, this is, as for, you know, you're, you want to go way down there and that's too far right now. That's, that's yeah. out of scope to use more corporate terminology. We gotta, we gotta pull this back. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, that's always important. I think, especially in fiction where, you know, your imaginations are running wild and you can, you know, why not 10 planes? <laughs> why not 10 <laughs> dragons? Yeah. So, yeah, no, but it, it's and and having somebody who is outside of yourself to be able to to step in there, but also it allows you, as you were saying earlier, you know, it, it it lets you kind of not have to internally edit yourself as much. You can just go for it, knowing you've got somebody to support you who will step in if they need to step in, yeah, and say this is too far. Yeah, yeah, and that believe me that's that's a gift that any writer i mean just you know just raises their hands to the sky and just thanks Mm -hmm. thank you editor thank you wizard editors for being awesome i guess you know if if anyone is is listening because you are you are very good (laughs) and and maybe maybe this is is an entirely different podcast as i'm looking at this but it's an interesting Speaking personally as someone who has done writing but has never published anything, so I'm I'm speaking entirely outside of my own personal experiences, but it's 
that is a topic when you you look at traditional publishing versus self-publishing. And, and like you were saying, Reinhardt, a lot of times in traditional publishing, it's hard for people to get those opportunities. Self-publishing, you, for the most part, can kind of drive the opportunity, though. You can publish yes. where it goes from there is more difficult because you don't always have that same support structure of the traditional publishing. Right. And, and so it's, it's, it's a balance of what works for whom in, in which circumstances. Yeah. yeah, if you're putting out your own stuff, you have to be diligent about checking yourself. Mm-hmm. You, have to, you have to seek out those different voices from yours because you're not going to be able to see your blind spots because they're blind spots. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. they, you, you just can't do it. You know, it doesn't matter how good of an editor you are, you can never, ever, ever edit yourself. So, yeah, um, in traditional publishing, um, it's assumed, and it largely is the case, that you have someone that's dedicated to your project that will give you that that leeway, but also give you the leash when you need mm-hmm. it. Um, yep. But, yeah, you just it, it falls upon you as if you're self-publishing to to get someone to do that for you, whether you rope in a friend um, or hire some money um it just you can't you you know i couldn't have done i couldn't have gotten these stories in the way they are by myself they would have been much much worse yeah and that's something i think um we talked a little bit about before we started recording but then as we were talking about imposter syndrome we kind of bounced back and forth to other things which is great like that's it's part of why we love. That's part of this, how we do this show. It's it's mm-hmm. part of the flow of the conversation. But to kind of get back to that that idea of um, often imposter syndrome, the I don't know that the main cause or but a piece of it, a component of it. One of the things that makes it sort of nefarious, so nefarious, is that generally, the, you, if you're creating and you're doing something, it's because you like the thing that you're doing. Mm-hmm. And so you often have already consumed so many stories or so many books or whatever it is, you are immersed in that world. And so you have an idea, at least for you, what is good and what is successful. Mm-hmm. As well. But when you're doing your initial, you know, your, your initial work on it, it's not going to look like that. No. And, and you have to get kind of get through that internal editor. You have to get through that sense of, of whatever it is in your head that this isn't good enough because I mean, frankly, at that point it isn't, but the whole point is you do, you, you do the work, you go through the steps and then you involve someone else. So if it's an editor in a traditional sense, if it's, you know, talking to friends or people that you're hiring for various you know, sensitivity readings or whatever, as, as a, free you know as a self-published or a freelancer in different capacities there's other people are going to be involved and there's multiple steps to this process mm-hmm. but usually you don't see that for the finished works you just see the finished work and it's so hard to learn how to put your head in that space that's the hardest part i think it's absolutely the hardest lesson to learn um because you constantly unlearn it because you, when you read something that's finished, you're like, "Oh, it should be like that," and mm-hmm. you went, then you sit down to write, and it comes out chicken scratch, and you're like, "What is wrong with me? I, I don't know. I can't do it." Mm-hmm. And it's because you want that end result so much. I, at least 
this is how I feel. I want that end result so much. I get impatient with myself to, you know, in to, to be in the process versus being in the process versus like, I know I'm on stage A, you know, and to go stage B, C, D, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that's just the case. Uh, you know, I, I, I used to teach writing uh, to high schoolers. And that's one of the things that I always try to say is um, you can't, if something, if a project means something to you, like there are going to be days that you're just going to think that you're the worst, like you, you have no talent. You, you should, you should go just, just be a fry cook forever. Um, that's natural. It happens to me, you know, during the writing of these stories, it definitely happened to me. I, you know, there were like times when I was like, what am I doing? They made a giant mistake. Um, but you know, it's about being okay with feeling that way on trying to understand and trying to under like understand yourself, you know, say to yourself, like part of this is me talking myself down because it's just something that I do. It's something that a lot of creative people do. I need to get through it. And when I'm on the other side, I'm going to reassess. And mm-hmm. then I need to keep going. I just need to keep going. Um, it's a process uh, to the mindset to kind of do that. And I'm not going to purport to be a master at that. I'm far from no. that. Um, but you have to do it. I, I think there's no other way. Um, if there was another way, I would love to know it because <laughs> yeah. I don't know it. <laughs> yeah, if, yeah if there's some magic solution to imposter syndrome that would be great oh my gosh but I would uh, pay a lot from, of money the, the conversations i hear from people who are so successful that you know i feel like it should be gone at that level if i was there it, it isn't it's the same thing you owe, you're the same person i guess regardless of where you're at yeah i don't, I don't know i don't know if that encourages people or discourages people <laughs> i think it should encourage people mm-hmm. like the greatest, your favorite writer goes through exactly the things that you go through. Mm-hmm. It will be okay. You can get to the other side. I, I plead with everybody who wants to write. Your voice is the most important thing because no one else can provide it. Literally no one in the history of the universe can write the thing that you're writing. So we need you to write it. That, that's, that's my main message that that's excellent and if there wasn't something else going on that would be a perfect place to end this podcast (laughs) so instead i'm going to use that to segue to the the last thing i want to talk about very briefly and and give you an opportunity to jump in if you want to talk about it a little bit but um, i mentioned this in our episode that went up last week i want to say it again real quick fourth street fantasy convention is the place that i met reinhardt it's a con that we go to every year it's local to us but it's not easy for everyone to get to Minneapolis, but this year it's online, so everyone can get to it. Um, they are asking for donations, but it's pay what you can. So even if you don't have a lot of disposable income right now, you can still take part in this thing if this is something that's re- that's interesting to you, the, the discussions about the craft and, and writing. And there are just some really knowledgeable and entertaining people who are part of this 
uh, convention. And I just want to encourage everyone who's interested in this to, uh, to check that out. It is going on the weekend of June 18th through the 20th. So that should be going up. It should be happening a few days after this episode goes up. Yeah. And I, let me, let me yeah piggyback off you, Alex. Um, this is, this is one of the coolest, uh, one of the coolest conventions you could go to as a, a writer of fantasy. Um, I, I went to it not writing fantasy because I wanted to learn more about writing fantasy. Um, and just, I'm just scrolling a little bit through some of the writers. I mean, there are, there are just some all time greats here. Um, one notable writer that I want to bring up is A.T. Greenblatt, who will be on one of the panels. And I believe A.T. Greenblatt wrote the main story, the main storyline for, is it Zendikar, the latest Zendikar set? Am I, am I correct? Uh, I'm not sure. Me. Again, I have to admit on air that as a person who hosts a magic podcast, I'm not paying as much attention to magic these days as I used to, but lots of things are going on. I th- Yeah, I think she, she did write one of the more recent sets. Okay. So, you know, that's kind of mm-hmm. the, the tie into to magic there. And um, so that, you know, it, if there's any more to entice you, uh, there it is. <laughs> and and if if you do want to just get some more information, we'll have their their website in the show notes, or you can just search Fourth Street Fantasy Convention, and they have their full schedule posted right now, so you can just see what they're planning to do for this year. And if it's interesting, register and attend some of the stuff. If not, you know, then don't. That's fine too. And that's our show for today. You can find the host on Twitter. Hotsku can be found at Hotsku. And Alex Newman can be found at Mel underscore Comicler. Send any questions, comments, thoughts, hopes, and dreams to at GoblinLorePod on Twitter or email us at GoblinLorePodcast at gmail.com. If you want to support your friendly neighborhood gobsmith, the cast can be found at Patreon.com slash GoblinLorePod. Opening and closing music by Vindergotten, who can be found on Twitter at Vindergotten or online at Vindergotten.bandcamp.com. Logo art by Steven Raphael, who can be found on Twitter at Steve Raphael. Goblin Lore is proud to be presented by Tipsters of the Coast as part of their growing Vorthos content, as well as magic content of all kinds. Check them out on Twitter at HipstersMTG or online at HipstersOfTheCoast.com. Thank you all for listening, and remember, goblins, like snowflakes, are only dangerous in numbers. <laughs>